Welcome everyone, live from Coburg High School in Melbourne, Australia, you're listening to the Youth Financial Wellbeing Podcast on CHS Live. My name is Eliza and my co-hosts today are Sophia, Mali, Avanya, Anaya, Jolene and Annika. Our special guest today is Jeanette Hurani, Contract Manager of Communities for Children. Hi Jeanette. Hi Welcome everyone. Hello. Uh, my first question for you is, what would you say to a girl who asks the simple question, how do I manage money? How do you manage money is first of all, money is important for our living. Yeah. But to manage it, you need to identify what do you want to do with this money? What do I need to buy? What do I need to spend on things? Is it about um, looking at my wants or my demand, my needs? That's where you start with managing your money. Looking at what do I earn? How do I save money? That's most important is that so that I can live my life, the life I want. Mm. Um, hi, I'm Molly and um, we did an 11 week course with Vic Seg and one topic that we really talked like recently talked about was dowry. Do you know what a dowry is? The dowry is a big question. It's a big topic mm. and it's, it happens in so many countries. If I want to say, and it happens in so many cultures, but there is a difference between one culture and another. So the dowry, if we're talking about the Asian countries and the Indian countries, it's completely different to the Middle Eastern dowry, where the dowry in the Asian countries is where the woman pays money for the husband to get married. While in the in the Middle Eastern countries, it's called mahar, and it's the man who pays the woman or the parents to for the woman to marry a woman. So that's the difference between both of them. And it, it has a lot of impact on on the on the bride or on the groom, uh, especially on the bride as a woman, because that will uh, put her in a difficult situations when uh, if anything happens in, in her life, that means she has to pay that dowry if we're talking about the Asian countries, which could be seen as financial abuse. Um, another question for the... Wait, my name is Anaya. Um, another question to lead up to that is, what do you think the main reason is why dowry slash mehir is like, has become a form of financial abuse? It has become a, a form of a financial abuse because of the lots of demands from the, uh, let's call it a perpetrator, if I want to use that word, perpetrator, or um, the person who demands more money on the victim, yeah. and mainly are women uh, victims, because we're talking, if we're talking about the Asian countries, it's uh, women who are paying the, that dowry, and there is a demand on that. If you don't give me that money, then um, you, you will be exposed to so many things as such in terms of violence, in terms of deprivation of even using her own money to survive. So basically it, it, it is, it's a form of, again, it's a form of financial abuse where it is, um, uh, you, you will be demanding money from, the, from your partner to let go if you want to say. 
Yeah. Um, like in general, do you think? Oh, sorry, my name's Annika. Um, do you think dowry is a good thing? I would say personally, as on a personal level. Uh, from talking about gender equality, talking about social justice, talking about women's rights, talking about human rights, this is not um, a good thing to talk about. Um, it is when uh, I'm, I was raised in a community where men and women uh, were different, not equal, but I fought for social justice to become equal, uh, that we live our lives together based on uh, respect, based on agreeing to things, based on doing things together. So if we are doing things together, it's not about asking the second person, if I marry you, you have to pay that dowry for me so that I can offer you that life. So for me, it's not a good thing. Um, my name's Sophia, and the question I had was, are there any early indicators of dowry abuse that can be easily identified or prevented before it gets too, um, too far along? I would say I'm not the right person to talk about the dowry abuse as dowry because I don't belong to that community. But the early signs is when there are um, uh, violence in the home, that becomes an a, a, a start, an indication of dowry abuse, because then the woman wouldn't be out to leave that relationship because there would be pressure on her to pay that debt. It's considered as a debt. So she will be forced to pay that debt, and she has no other alternative of, to escape that family violence and become used as a putting pressure on the woman to stay in that relationship in that um, a violent relationship. So the early signs is that when there is verbal abuse, when there is social abuse, when there is economic abuse, there is mental abuse, that's, these are early signs of that dowry abuse. So the general idea is that financial abuse is only experienced by women, a part of the cultural minorities in Australia. But do you, do you agree with this stereotype? Can you repeat that question again? Yeah. Sorry. Mm. So the general idea is that financial abuse is only experienced by women a part of the cultural minorities in Australia. Do you agree with the stereotype or do you think it could be anyone, could be everyone? Everyone is exposed to, uh, fam to financial abuse. Um, financial abuse, we're talking about deprivation of having money mm. when the other partner um, deprives you from having access to your wages, having access to money just to buy your own food. Um, so it happens across the world, actually. It's not in Australia. It happens across the world that women, are, and mainly women, are subjected to financial abuse. Mm. And do you think gender equality or inequality has like plays a part in this? It is about power. Yeah. We talk about power and gender equality. When women are subjected to um, financial abuse or to family violence, in general, we talk about power. We're, in the past, we know that it was male-dominated and people were subjected to, it's my power. And then we started talking about the women's movement, started talking about women's rights, and then 
there could be fear that they are losing that power and then women are gaining more power. And until now, I can still say that there is that gender inequality is still happening. It's still, we haven't reached to the stage where we talk about we are equal, mm-hmm. but our, our, our aim is always everybody and the younger generation, their aim is always to look at gender equality. We're equal in the workforce. We're equal when we get paid. We're equal to uh, live our lives like everybody here and do the work that we we like to do Mm. without any external pressures, without the society pressures. And we know that we are all faced with societal pressure. Yeah. Um, hi, my name is Jolene, and I just wanted to ask, um, have you or anyone you know personally experienced financial abuse? Yes, uh, so many people are experiencing financial abuse. And then we go related back to the gender equality. We talk about um, uh, we talk about parity in pay, even in the workforce. We talk about uh, deprivation of money in the, between husband and wife or partners uh, when they deprive you from uh, having access to money or you have to be uh, if you have to ask mm-hmm. you have to ask for your money to go and buy the essential food or a necessity for you in the home uh, to to live your home to feed your family uh, so that's um, financial abuse, and there are so many women who are exposed to that financial abuse. For example, a woman um, approached me one day and she said, can I borrow some money? I don't have money to buy milk for my child. My husband did not leave money on the table. She has to ask for the, for that money every time um, she sees her husband. And this is if she sees him on a daily basis. Um, I mean, there are extreme cases, but there are also uh, people who don't give money uh, to their partners um, and they don't let them go to work. Mm. And some of them, even if they talk, if they go to work, they have to bring their money back and put it on the table and then the husband or the partner would take that money uh, from them and decide what they would spend it on. Yeah. Um, just uh, if you were just tuning in, you're listening to the Youth Financial Wellbeing Podcast on CHS Live, live from Coburg High School in Melbourne, Australia. My name is Eliza and my co-hosts are Sophia, Mali, Avanya, Anaya, Jolene and Annika. Our special guest today is Jeanette Hurani. Continue on, Mali. Um, I just wanted to ask, um, how, what advice would you give to, for example, the woman who came up to you talking about how she needed money from her husband? What advice would you give her to have gotten out of it if you could have talked to her for a little bit longer that day? Okay, the advice I would give uh, to the woman is first of all to um, uh, assure her that she's not alone. That's number one. We are all supporting each other. We, we, the woman is looking for the support without and validate her experience. So we need to learn um, uh, to listen to, to, to this woman and then validate her experience uh, without judging her. And that's the first thing. It's better than saying as, as an advice. The advice is that what has she thought of? I would find her strengths. I would look at what has she done in the past that was successful for her. So look at her power. She has that strength, but we need to get it out of her system so that she can 
talk about it and find her ways to deal with her situations. To did I did I answer your question there? Yes. Yeah. Um, yes, you did. And then seek support. There are so many support services where she could um, uh, attend to, and they will give her um, uh, options rather than talking about the advice. Because at the end, it's the woman or that person, that victim, would need to make informed decisions. Uh, uh, so we give options, and then she would be, uh, at the end, it's her decision, uh, what she wants to do with her life. Um, I'm Avanya, and I was just wondering, what made you want to become a contract manager? Ah, being a contracts manager, I've been working in my life. I mean, back home, I was a teacher. When I arrived in Australia, I worked in different positions as a community development worker. Um, all my aim in life was always seeking social justice, advocating on behalf of mainly women and children, um, because um uh, some parts of my work was also working on uh, supporting women who are victims of family violence. And then uh, to do that job is I got also into training, into learning, uh, gaining more knowledge to support those women and being on boards of some advocacy groups for social justice and gender equality. So that made me um, put myself into, if I want to say, in that, that leadership and my responsibility because there are people who don't have the, uh, the opportunity to learn more or uh, some uh, information that they uh, hear about it. It could be some of those stereotypes where women, um, uh, what do they want, especially if we come from an overseas, like, you know, what do they want when they arrive here in Australia? Uh, they want um, they want liberty, they want freedom, uh, and which is opposite to their learnings. So here is a situation for us where we can inform people in that leadership. So my contract manager happened to be that I'm managing some programs um, to support because of the leadership that you, you have, because of the work history that you've done, gone through all those years. So I've worked here for 20 years in Australia, or uh, actually more. I've been 30 years in Australia, but I worked uh, with Vixag New Futures for 20 years. And then I wasn't always a manager. So I learned and with the skills and experience, I think, got to that position. Um, about migrating to Australia, what was the hardest thing financially about having to migrate? I, I lived in a country, uh, I come from Lebanon. During the war, um, I had to uh, live as a refugee within my country. Uh, first of all, escape parts of that because of the civil war. Then I had to escape again from my village to Beirut again. And then uh, I had to leave because of uh, the civil war and more conflicts, political conflicts in Lebanon. So I escaped and lived as a refugee in Germany. And from Germany, I applied to become a migrant in Australia. So I've experienced both. Uh, um, refugees being a refugee and a migrant. The hardest part was to get money or borrow money to travel. That was the hardest part. The hardest part is that if you are a refugee, you're not allowed to work. So where would you get your money to, uh, to live? 
and pay your debts or pay your expenses. The hardest part is that also when you come to Australia is you won't find straight away the job that you wanted based on your skills and experiences. So you have to restart again from scratch. And that's what I did. I accepted any job when I came here so that we can pay our debts. So the hardest part is that to work, first of all, to borrow money. Second is to repay that money to your borrower. And what was the first job you had once you came to Australia? Um, the, uh, the first job was in New South Wales in Sydney as an ethnic worker, working, which is a bicultural worker, if you want to say this, that's the name now, uh, with a community organizations supporting uh, migrants and refugees, especially with the elderly uh, people. So had to organize resources, um, uh, activities for, for them. So that was my first job. And then when I moved to Melbourne, my first job in Melbourne was working with um, victims, survivors of family violence. And also, was there any issues like in your first job contract or just overall any of your job contracts? Um, the job contracts, well, the first job if you want to say, you didn't know your rights. Okay? You had to accept whatever job was given to you and what you are told to do. Not I'm saying that there will be um, uh, an abuse in, in, uh, in the relationship between bosses and employees, but it is always you think yourself, if I don't do that, it means I'm going to lose my job. That's always a fear that most people who arrive in Australia, that's the fear that they find that, how am I going to live my life? I have to accept that without knowing their rights. So the best thing is that always read your contracts. Um, uh, you will find a job. You will find it, learn, and uh, there are lots of skills and experiences that you will learn across the years that you live. Um, I just want to ask... Um, do you think it's important for women of all ages to educate themselves on having their own financial security? Yes, and yes, and yes. <laughs> Everybody should learn about uh, having financial security. Everyone should learn about uh, budgeting. Uh, we are all can do work uh, if they want and opportunities allows, allow them, especially the younger generation also. Um, they need to have their own financial security. Mm. They work and they need to learn how to save for their future. So that's the financial security for them. Um, I just have a question. Um, when did you first like learn or get introduced to financial abuse? When I first learned, when I first started working with um, uh, a service supporting uh, victims, survivors of family violence, um, that was my first instance of learning about how women. And I was at that start, I was very, um, uh, what's called passionate. Not only passionate, I became sensitive. I became angry. I used to to take their their cases with me home. That it it impacted on me at that very start. How does this happen? Why would that happen? Why would they be victim survivors? Like you know, of financial abuse. And sometimes you 
you learn to judge people at the start. Why wouldn't they leave home? Why would they be subjected to, to these situations without understanding? Because the cultural we came from, the cultural background where I came from, always it was male-dominated power and then did not know all this information. So um, learning through here, you hear stories. And since I started working with people, um, I learned more and more. And even now I do voluntary work to support victim survivors of family violence. So I... so. I learned more. And to end up with that, I always wanted to do something about it that made me enroll and complete my recently my financial counseling diploma. So whether I will work in that field or not, that's another story. Um, another question I had was because you've lived as a refugee and as a migrant, do you think that's what mainly made you so passionate towards working with other people that have been through financial abuse? Um, it made me feel working with everybody, not necessarily those uh, who have been victims of financial abuse. Um, it's about humanity. It's about uh, passion to work with different people, to, to know about their rights. It's about passion to work with young girls and women specifically to empower them to be leaders in their communities, uh, to support others, okay? Mm -hmm. To talk about gender equality, uh, to um, to minimize or eliminate that financial abuse, if we want to say, what strategies we can all do together to support those women so that they don't become uh, victims of financial abuse. And they learn about their skills. They learn skills about how to save money, how to have their financial security, as you talked about, um, do you think that the access to education on how to protect yourself and others is enough or do we need to start doing more to help people? Access to education is really important. Education, wherever you go, education is really important. Um, but that's, I'm a, personally, I would say that's not enough. We have the knowledge of the society. We have the experience of everyday life experience that you will uh, gain more knowledge about it. Uh, we um, work closely with each other um, to learn more about it. Um, this is this is more about empowering each other, and that's what's important. Yeah. Um, you said before um, when you were talking about working with people who had been victims of financial abuse that some people at first may judge them and be like, well, why didn't they just leave? Um, and how did they know that they were being financially abused? So um, what are some main like maybe like red flags or like like things that you can think about when you're in a relationship to know that you might be getting financially abused? Okay. When you are in a relationship and the first thing you are told you cannot go and spend money, for example, on a dress. That's a sign of financial abuse. When you are told that if you are working and your money becomes your partner's money as taken away from you and you will ask for a pocket money, that becomes a financial abuse. When you, are, um, you want to buy food, 
for the table and you're given $20, well, you know $20 is not enough to put food on the table. That becomes a financial abuse. And the list will go on and on. Uh, do you think that some women are unaware that they are being financially abused? Depends on which culture they come from, how they, they were raised. Mm. Some of them, they think, okay, well, whatever money it's... Um, if I want to say, let's talk about it, the men normally see themselves as the bread earners of the, and bringing food to the table. So if, I'm, uh, if I learned this since I was um, five years old, for example, and grew up with that understanding, how would I know that this will be a financial abuse? Yeah. Without that education and without that access to education about uh, financial well-being, how would I know that I've been a victim of financial abuse? How would you, um, how would you say to people and try and help them to like get out of that financial abuse? Like, what would you tell them to do? Okay. Well, again, we would listen to them, as I said before. Uh, we'd listen to them. We'd validate the experience. And then we'll uh, say that there are lots of services that can provide that support and seek um, the, that, that support without fear uh, because those services will not judge you. Okay, you will have, again, the support of financial counselors too. Um, there are so many services that can provide that support to you. Uh, but from my point of view as an individual, I would say I will validate your experience. I'm with you. I'll support you all the way and refer you to other services. Um, so there are services for um, financial abuse, yes, but... Um, what about with debt? Like say that someone was to get into debt, is there anything that they can do to get out of it? Or like what advice would you give them to maybe um, help with their debt and possibly get out of it or improve okay. it? All right. So we're talking, when we're talking about debts, there are so many types of debts, right? So it could be a loan debt. It could be uh, afterpay debts. Uh, these things that sometimes, um, which as a, some financial counselors would say it's not advised to, to go through that option because you would be paying more money than what you would be saving. Um, so there is always a financial counselor could always help with that. Uh, they can uh, contact, if you can't self-advocate with those uh, services, uh, they can help you uh, advocate on your behalf to talk to their hardship team. There is always in those associations and organizations, there is a hardship team and they can talk to them whether they can uh, change uh, change the loan or the, the uh, contracts uh, and the payments or make installment payments uh, if they couldn't waive based on any uh, unfair, for example, contracts. Yeah, Um. Where, when we're talking about all sorts of situations or mainly uh, financial abuse, where can like people directly get help? Like what sort of services are we talking? And well, what might they provide? Are you talking about financial abuse or are you yeah. talking about the services? Well, if someone's experiencing financial abuse, like you talked about there's many services they can go to. 
what will those services provide that can help them directly? Okay, so you can talk about the National Debt Helpline that they can help you with um, support. Um, uh, services like the Migrant and Refugee Services uh, for Family Violence, that such as In Touch, mm-hmm. uh, 1800 Respect, um, um, also Safe Steps, they are, these can help you with um, referrals or talk to you about the services and where to get to get help with yeah. that, in addition to the financial counsellors, if specifically about debts and uh, finances, uh, to manage your finances and to be in control of your own finances. Do you, um, do you think men experience this abuse as well? Like obviously the, girl, the um, women do experience it like a little bit more, but what would you say for the men? Okay. Everybody is exposed to abuse. Everybody is exposed to abuse, but we are talking about the percentage. If we are talking about data and percentage, sorry, I didn't bring that data with me, uh, but um, women are more um, subjected to uh, family violence and financial abuse than, uh, than men. So probably I think one in four are victim survivors of family abuse and family violence. Yeah. Um, um, what do you think is the main reason that women are more subject to it over men? Just like the main overall reason, like maybe cultural or? It's again, it's power. We're talking about power, gender equality, and uh, gender gender inequality and power. That's main reasons, and it depends of uh, women if they cannot advocate on their behalf or if they don't know their rights, uh, and they're worried. Uh, some of them might think I'm um, I'm in love of this person and I don't want to leave the, leave that re- relationship. Then they become victims uh, more than the men. Yeah. Um, do you think with the power, do you think if there was, do you think men might lean towards, you know, limiting women's money or financial abuse as a way to sort of demand ownership over the woman? Is that an outlet? The, you touch on an important point here. Again, we're talking about power. We're talking about gender inequality. We're talking about um, uh, you are mine. Yes, ownership mm. of a person. And then uh, they uh, use threats also to keep that person. Which can lead with to violence. Ex- that, w- yeah. Which is uh, violence. And even if they are in violent relationship, they also threaten them so, so that they don't leave that relationship because they think that they, they own them. You belong to me. Mm-hmm. You can't leave me. You need me. You're dependent on me, which is not true. This is all myths. Yeah, and that's why it's really important for women to have their own financial ex- security. Um, would you – so going way back to dowry – how do you think the transition, because this sort of relates, from dowry being beneficial for the female in, like, Asian cultures to the opposite occurred? Like, what – because, you know, we talk about um, – well, now we have feminism, but we – and that's quite recent, but we used to have, obviously, the men were the dominant, the power holders. Do you think – how did we get to a point where women were being given the dowry to women, it being taken off of them? How do you reckon? Yeah. As I said, again, I'm not the expert on dowry. 
okay but my uh, understanding and the knowledge that when there is a demand uh, when the women have to give that dowry to their husband especially in the in the uh, asian countries um there if there is a breaking relationship that will put pressure on the women again to give that dowry back uh still pay that dowry to to the husbands even if there is um uh, it means that if she doesn't pay that, then there is a break in the marriage. And even if there is break in the marriage, again, the the diary still continues. She still has to pay that to to the husband, even if the, the marriage is broken down. So, yeah. um, Another question goes back to debt is um, uh, when you're budgeting, what are some tips and tricks you would give to younger people that are trying to budget and like not fall into a lot of debt when they get older? Okay. So um, when you're budgeting, first important is that you would look at your earnings, okay, and your expenditures, okay, and you balance that. And you start looking at each item. What do you use? What do you spend your money on? Okay, and then you would look at that. That will give you an, an example. Am I spending too much if I'm earning $500 and then I'm spending $800? What's going wrong here? So you will be in debt, right? Yeah. So you would look at that and say, okay, which ones do I need to spend less on this one? Okay, do I need, for example, 10 cans of Coke? <laughs> and it, it, in a week, for example, or can I drop that? Right? Do I need to smoke um, two packs of cigarettes a day or can I say, okay, one cigarette, I can smoke one cigarette or not smoke at all? Do I need to go and buy, um, uh, do I need to cook, for example, at home? Like for me, for example, sometimes I don't cook at home and sometimes I say myself, where's my budget? I'm spending $27, for example, for a meal, for lunch. Okay, where I can probably cook and prepare it at home before and take it with me and bring it. So that means I could save money there. Okay, so it's that sometimes when we think about that budgeting, again, we say, is it what I, need, what I have here? Is it a want or is it a need? Yeah, okay. I'm always got to balance. So that. you balance that. If I need it, of course, that's your essential things. So first, you think about your essential things, and then you think about um, something extra. I want. Can I save it? Yes, yes, for fun. That's all we have time for today. Thank you to our guest Jeanette Hurani. Um, it's been a great pleasure talking to you today, live from Coburg High School in Melbourne, Australia. You have been listening to the Youth Financial Wellbeing Podcast on CHS Live. My name is Eliza and my co-hosts today were Anaya, Jolene, Marley, Avanya, Annika and Sophia. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you have found the information today useful. Until next time, have a great day. Thank you for Thank having you. me today. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>